Hey everyone, this is Derek Stone. This is Conrad Derringer. And you're listening to the Working Triathlete Podcast. Today, Conrad and I are going to talk about some current events uh, in the triathlon world, starting with Morgan Pearson, uh, who has moved to the Olympic uh, selection. He, he automatically qualified. Um, we'll talk about Lucy Charles, who dipped into the short course racing. Um, Alistair Brownlee, who was DQ'd at a recent event. And then uh, Lawrence James, the Iron Cowboy. He is approaching his 100 Ironmans in 100 days. Um, but I guess we'll start off with uh, Morgan Pearson. But I, I guess first, let's start off with Conrad, see what you've been up to last couple of days or last couple of weeks. The last couple of weeks, I have been coaching. Last weekend, I we went to uh, Louisville and Lexington for an engagement party. Now that the COVID restrictions have lifted and everybody's vaccinated, we can go and interact with one another without masks. And that is, it's a good thing. Some people seem a little bit out of practice when it comes to socializing. It feels kind of weird, but it's, uh, it's fun to, to actually be together indoors with friends and, and meet people who you actually don't know previously. But I mean, fortunately, many of our friends are triathletes and, and we've been able to continue meeting up with each other and, and do group group rides, group runs. And, and so it's not like we were socially deprived as I hear maybe people in other countries are, but so I've been enjoying life as it used to be, I suppose. Yeah, you can tell down here in Tennessee and Nashville specifically, things have really lightened up quite a bit. A lot of people are not wearing masks anymore. And I think we, we were just first to really have a large dose of vaccinations here in Tennessee and Nashville specifically. Um, I know you were able to get one early. I was as well, even before my parents were in Michigan. So things have been expedited down here in Nashville, which has been great. So I can't imagine being in another city where the socializing has been less than what we've been experiencing. I know. I mean, in the South, it, it was never, it was sort of difficult for a couple of months, but then, I mean, in Nashville, Broadway was back to normal very quickly, but one thing that has been nice is that it has been much easier to swim and, and find lanes. If the, if all the lanes are taken, you can jump in at, at the pool and swim with others. You can circle swim. Uh, you can go to the YMCA without a mask on all good things. Definitely. Um, so I guess we'll start with Morgan Pearson. Obviously we, we generally, you know, compete in long course events and the majority of the athletes we coach compete in long course, but it is an Olympic year, which makes things exciting. Obviously racing is awesome. It's a completely different style, uh, with triathlon in the Olympics. It's a, you know, we call it short course, but still, you know, an hour 45 plus race, which is long. Um, but you know, we'll talk about Morgan Pearson who has a background in swimming and running, but ran in college and, you know, automatically qualified for the Olympics, which is pretty awesome. Uh, but I think what's neat about his experience is, you know, he was a, you know, 1330 mid 5k runner in college. After college, he did one triathlon and qualified for his elite license, which was the sprint national championships. I remember when he did that. He yeah. He showed up. He, he <laughs> swam well, had a, a horrendous bike leg. I don't know. He might've done it on a road bike. And then he, he ran like a 14 minute 5k at, uh, I think it was in Omaha. But he ran shirtless and he, I mean, he just destroyed everybody on the run. It was just yeah. lopsided. 
I think what's unique about this is, you know, I don't know what his experience was like in high school. I know he did swim, um, but it shows yep. you that if you started swimming when you're younger, you still carry on that feel for the water and the form. Um, mm-hmm. So if we have any young listeners out there, just continue sticking with it and you'll be better. You'll be ahead of the crowd when it comes to your adulthood. If you start competing in triathlons. Absolutely. My kids are definitely going to be swimming when they're four and a half years old. You can even start earlier than that. I've seen, <laughs> I've seen kids, they do the survival swimming when they're like, like nine months old. And it's actually kind of horrifying watching it because the babies are dunked in the water and they just learn the mechanisms of holding their breath and things like that. Wow. That sounds like a good way to cause kids to just hate swimming. But yeah. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> I think, it, I think there's an entry process as, as far as how they're introduced to the water. So I'm, I'm sure that just thrown right in into the deep end. Obviously this past weekend, it was one of the, you know, world triathlon series races and leads looking at the course is pretty brutal. I think they finished up a pretty steep hill. Um, Lucy Charles, who comes from long course, kind of reverted back to short course and took fifth in the female field, which She's actually now in contention, I believe, to be an Olympic qualifier. That would be wild. But it goes to show you that a lot of these long course athletes are, are versatile. You always hear about the, you know, the ITU racers and, and everybody thinks that, you know, when they move up, they're the threat. And, you know, th- there's something to that. Obviously, Gustav Eden kind of moved up and won the 70.3 World Championships. But you can't rule out <laughs> the long course people. Kind of moving down. I mean, you can see Jan at Challenge Miami. He he cleaned up and he beat some ITU guys who theoretically are supposed to be faster. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, humans are humans, athletes are athletes, and we always like to pigeonhole people and put them in boxes. But you know, fitness and fitness is fitness, and that you know the the, the strong the mental strength that these athletes have. I mean, they can apply it to races of different distances and obviously perform. So did you watch that race? I didn't watch it, but I know like, obviously, so Lucy Charles has a really strong swim, you know, especially Mm -hmm. in long course, which it's not as the the advantage is smaller in long course in the swim, you know, versus like short course, short course, you have to be a fast swimmer. Um, So she kind of fits in that mark where if you get in the short course, you stick with the crowd you know, you can draft out the bike, but in long course, if you get out of the water first, you know, you're just trying to bike away from everyone or hold them off as long as possible versus trying to stay with the pack in short course. Mm-hmm. Did you watch it? Uh, no, but I heard recaps of it. And um, I heard that obviously she swam well, but on the bike, she just doesn't have that draft legal experience. So going around turns, she would kind of lose that that front group a little bit and have to put out a lot of power to to catch up um so she probably put out her normalized power is probably high uh and she probably burned a lot of matches when she was riding so i wonder if if that means if she can learn how to ride better in the pack if she can be more of a threat but i'm curious see what she ran. I, I don't know what she ran. Do you know? I think it was 35 something, which I know is one of the faster 10 Ks of the day. And Got it. so 30, I, 
I can't recall exactly what the time was. I know I know it was in the 35s, which doesn't sound super fast, but taking on like the course, I, I know it was a really challenging run Got course it. too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know Taylor Nib when she qualified, I, I think she qualified at Yokohama, the same race uh, Morgan Pearson did. I could be wrong, but I think that's right. And I, I know she, she won and she ran 35 minutes and not that she had one of the, she did not have the fastest run by any, I think an American ran 33, 30. Um, so, you know, her strength isn't the, the run. She's a good swim biker. Anyway, it puts into context. If it's a tough course, she's probably a better runner than Taylor Nib, who qualified. It was the, I think the second female to qualify for the, uh, for the United States and the, to represent the U S in the Olympics. Yeah. It'll, it'll be interesting. I think all the selections happen within the next week or two as well. I know there's more subjectivity to, to the Olympic selection now. Mm-hmm with the um, mixed team relay, because if, if they have a better opportunity to get a medal, a guaranteed medal, they're going to take someone over that might finish higher in the individual event, which kind of stinks because you, you kind of wish you could take three in individual and then potentially two more, but you have to, you can, I think you can only have max of three per gender. Got it. So, so you can't have like a, a backup that might be even more specific to, that mixed team relay, which is even a shorter race. You know, it's like a two or 300 meter swim, 8K bike and a 2K run or something like that. It's super short. Yeah, <laughs> such a weird event. It's cool though. It's exciting. I'm looking forward to watching it. And then I guess lastly, on with the leads, Alistair Brownlee was disqualified for dunking a US I competitor. I looked for the video. I can't find it. I was really oh, curious I found to see. It. Did you? It is so blatant. <laughs> It's uh, people were trying to say that, oh, you know, it was just his stroke was interrupted. And anybody who watches the video and thinks that is just they just like Alistair and they're trying to defend him and they're deceiving themselves like it is so blatant. He puts his hand. So they're swimming next to each other. He the uh, the other guy, it's on Alistair's right side. And, and, you know, he, he comes down and he puts his hand in the middle of the guy's back and pushes him down, directly down. And it's just so clear that he, he was trying to dunk him. And, and, you know, Alistair does not have the best reputation when it comes to racing tactics, i.e. racing cleanly. Yeah, he's been disqualified before for cutting a buoy, which yeah. I, I'd imagine, like, I don't know how you'd mistake that. So it's like, I wonder if you delirious when that happened or if it's just like... <laughs> right. That's know. just so blatant and, and silly to do. Who knows? Who knows? I, I think that he, I mean, he's just such a competitor and he just turns into a savage when he's racing and he just doesn't care. It's just win at all costs. And I hate everybody and I want to beat them. And anybody who interferes with, with my desire to lead from, you know, from the swim all the way to the, the finish line. I mean, he, he pushes the pace and he likes to lead wire to wire. Anybody who, who threatens that is, he just doesn't want anything to do with them and he, he'll dunk them. You know, that's just the, the competitor's mentality. But I do, I do remember, uh, I think it was the last Kona. So 2019, there was a video and they were interviewing Jan, Jan Perdino after he won and he had the, uh, you know, the wreath on his head and, uh, Brownlee, he, he ended up just like 
bumping into Jan uh, purposely, like obviously it was it was purposeful, and and Jan like looks at him as he's passing, and he's like, you know, he kind of smirks, and he looks at the the interviewer, and he's like, he like shakes his head, and and Jan interpreted that as you know, Alistair just giving him the shoulder, kind of checking him. So that's that's, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, because I don't even think he was in contention to winning that day. No, what happened? I think he, uh, did, did he get a flat, uh, something happened on the bike that put him out of contention. Um, and then, you know, he, the run, he just kind of bonked. So, you know, it, it's hot. Kona yeah. is hot. He's from the UK and he probably just can't deal with the heat that well, but he'll probably figure it out just cause he's an animal and, he this year it seems like he is aiming for the olympics but i don't think he's gonna get in because you have alex Yi, you have his brother um and i think there's another guy who name i can't remember right now yeah i believe he even faces being omitted from the olympics altogether anyway um right and he, he made a statement about how that would have been his last world triathlon series race so it, it might just be long course for him now at this point one might argue that it's time. Uh, you know, he hasn't really been much of a factor at the front. I mean, he's always a factor, but he hasn't been nearly as dominant recently in the, in the short course stuff. Eight years ago, he was the man. He would lead wire to wire. Yeah. And that you kind of lose that that fast twitch stuff, that, that high-end fitness. I mean, there's also a lot of talented guys now, mm-hmm. um, but he's, he's getting older. I think he's, I mean, he's early thirties, certainly he's sort of around our age. Yep. Um, you know, you still have, <laughs> it's interesting because historically uh, short course was dominated by guys, you know, call it early to mid twenties. Now there are some older guys in there in the mix nowadays. Um, I mean, you, you even think about like, yeah, the longevity of the sport, Andy Potts just went sub eight, you know, Tulsa. 44, 45 years old. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, that is incredible. And I wonder what the difference is. He just avoids getting injured and just takes care of himself. And he continues to perform mid-40s, kind of wild. I saw that uh, he just uh, agreed to a deal with Diamond. Diamond oh, really? Bikes. Yeah, so he's riding a Diamond, which is which is good. Obviously, I'm, I love Diamond. American company, I ride a Diamond, Marquis. Uh, so I'm glad to see him on a diamond, but uh, I remember like five years ago, he would, <laughs> he would make horrendous choices when it came to cycling. Uh, and I remember at Kona, he, he ran gator skin tires. Yeah. And... That's silly. I mean, that, that's like, yeah, I mean, it's like, was that recently or, or like, he, like when he first started? This was, I mean, he had, he had, he was a competitor for years. This, I think this was like 2016, 2017. That's crazy. Yeah. So, you know, we like to look to pros for guidance often on you know equipment choice because we assume that they have all that dialed in, but you know, they're busy training (laughs) and and they're they're not necessarily into the engineering side of things. Um and maybe they don't know that they don't make the best aerodynamic choices or or the best you know, choices when it comes to speed. And, you know, it's not like, I think Sebastian Keenley really brought uh, the the idea that triathletes need to 
obsess about aerodynamics and equipment choice when cycling. Uh, before that, athletes didn't really pay attention to it. You know, they wore loose clothing and things like that. Yeah. I mean, even Keenley, even when he rode in Nice, they stripped the paint on his bike to save what, right. 20, 20 grams or whatever. I don't know the, the weight is, but they, they just had a nude bike, you know, yeah. um, just to save as much weight as possible. So it's like when you're looking for every ounce in every second, it matters, you know, when you start adding up in long course. For sure. I mean, it's important to, to be deliberate and to uh, these marginal gains add up and eventually they're not marginal. And, you know, maybe we'll have a podcast where we discuss in more detail you know, things people can do when they're with their bike setup to maximize aerodynamics because there's really no excuse. I mean, money is one thing, but there are things you could do with your current bike that doesn't cost anything that will allow you to go faster. It'll save a lot of watts. I guess last like current event we could briefly talk about is Lawrence James, the Iron Cowboy. He's been moving through the hundred full distance races. I guess you looked it up just now. It's 92 days today. So he's approaching yeah. that 100. And there's been a lot of controversy over this because one Ironman got involved with telling him to stop using the name Ironman events or distance, whatever you want to call it. And then he's obviously taking an IV several times a week, which per WADA, you know, it's against, it's against the anti-doping uh, policy. However, this is not a race. You know, he's literally pushing the human body probably beyond what anyone should do, <laughs> yeah. but, but it is pretty interesting, you know, to see how he's executing and you know what he's doing on a daily basis. It is incredible what he's doing. And I mean, obviously he isn't doing sort of regulation Ironman races. He, he isn't, so he's swimming in a pool and he's, he's riding 112 miles. Uh, he, he's doing it, you know, in a Peloton. So he's getting a little bit of a draft benefit and then he's, he's doing the marathon, but uh, people are taking issue with the fact that, you know, he's, isn't doing it as per Ironman, i.e. the Ironman brand rules. Uh, but come on, he is, you're covering <laughs> the he, distance. What he's doing is incredible. And uh, just the showing up every day and doing that is it should be inspiring to people. I think that he is inspiring maybe new athletes to sign up for Ironmans, uh, bringing, maybe he's bringing more people to the sport because, you know, if he could do a hundred in 100 days, maybe I could just train up to do one. You know, may, maybe it isn't this incredibly difficult endeavor doing an Ironman. Um, so I think, you know, what he's doing is, is generally good for the sport. You know, his personality is, is one thing, you know, he seems to be kind of an aggressive guy and, and maybe with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. And perhaps that's for good reason because of all of the, uh, you know, the naysayers on, on slow twitch and, and other platforms where, you know, they just kind of, for whatever reason, whether they don't think he's the best ambassador because he's a little bit rough around the edges or they're just jealous uh, of the attention he's getting. I don't know what it is, but he probably has a, a right to have a chip on his shoulder. Basically, I think it's pretty amazing just the, his mental strength and the fact that his body held up doing what he's doing. It's, I think it's net positive and, and I'm, I'm impressed. Yeah. I, I'm impressed with, even like you think about the little things like blisters and 
like chafing and things right. like that day over day over day. You know, it's like how much pre- preparation are you doing before every bike ride to minimize little things like that? Like I, I lost a toenail doing a half Ironman three <laughs> weeks ago, and I can't imagine running a hundred marathons in a row. And, and like I'd imagine all of his toenails had to be falling off. It's just incredible. Like there's they gotta be to so be much like this, like the soft tissue, this annoyances all over, I'd imagine, which I think that in itself is pretty awesome to withstand, you know, throughout the hundred days. That, and then just the relentlessness of it. It's just every day you don't have a break. It's like, you know, you do a long run the next day, you're kind of tired and you know, he, <laughs> he's doing a long run and a long bike and a long swim. I mean, no matter how, like you look at his Watts, maybe it's, you know, it's a low intensity factor for him. Like, holy crap, you know, you're sitting there, you're moving your body, your heart rate is, is still elevated. What it's doing to your body is horrendous. And the big thing is, is sleep. So just mentally, you know, we, if he's doing these in say 15, 15 hours, hours, yeah, that only leads, leaves nine hours to just recover, veg out, just occupy your mind with something and then sleep. And, you know, after a couple of hard days of training, you know, I'll sleep for 10 hours and then take a nap in the middle of the day. He doesn't have that time. So he's sleep deprived. I mean, just think about not having the ability to just sit on the couch and, and just veg out and not think of anything or just hanging out with friends and just sitting around and just doing something that is, is mindless. He just, he's not recharging. And that's, that's the amazing thing. That's one of the amazing things. Also like the, the lack of like solid meals. I mean, maybe he is having solid meals out there because the bike rides probably a little slower or a little less intense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know he's taking a break between the bike ride and the run. I mean, when you think about racing or going out and training, you're, you're eating like gels and cliff bars, which, or whatever, you know, and it might be semi-solid or solid still, but like having like a nice, like a, a real meal, you know, I can't imagine he's doing too much of that, but maybe he is. I'd be curious to find out. He has to be eating a decent amount of solid foods. It would be interesting to to learn more about what's sort of happening to him. It'd be interesting looking at the power files, looking at his nutrition, you know, his heart rate variability, things like that. Like, like what exactly is happening to him? How is yeah, what, he not like what's the long term effects to you know? Yeah, like what's happening to his heart? You know, is it <laughs> is it stronger? Stronger? Are there long term issues with it? Is is it hardening? Is is I don't know. It's there are various issues that arise when people overdo it like his adrenal system like his endocrine system like what is going on there what does he take is he taking something like supplements uh i mean i'd imagine it would it would be smart for him to take some type of supplement you know based on just the the trauma to his body every single day but then again it's like maybe that's added that maybe that would add even more of an issue down the road too no matter what even if he's like taken growth hormone and, and whatever, like just the mental battle that he's, he's doing with himself. It's just incredible. Well, I think that wraps it up for the current events. Um, anything else that, that you've come across? One thing we should probably talk about are these, these records in the running world. Oh yes. So yes. like this past weekend, Safan Hassan, she, uh, 
she broke the 10K world record by, I believe it was 10 seconds. She ran 29.06. I mean, obliterated the old record and obliterated the field. And, you know, she's, it's not the only impressive performance recently. I mean, the, the records that have stood for a, a couple decades, I mean, they're all fallen. You know, 5K men's, 10K men's record fell. Uh, and a lot of people are pointing to the, uh, the super shoes. Uh, I think she, so she ran in the, the Nike Zoom X Dragonfly. They're saying that that spike is you know, a couple seconds per mile faster for everybody. So like even there's a high school that that ran 331 for 1500. It, it was, the he beat the high from, school record and beat the collegiate NCAA collegiate record. But, and then a guy just ran, well, he ran 331 this past weekend, but it was the fastest 1500 ever run on American soil. That's right. You're right. Yeah. He just graduated. He has a, he has a mullet and a, and a mustache. I know that. No, that was the guy. So he, he did well. He had a great race. He oh, won okay. that race, but there was another one. Um, Josh Kerr. Okay. So at the, at the Stumptown Twilight meet in Portland, Oregon, uh, last Thursday. So he's from Scotland, not, not Britain, but yeah. So he's 23 years old. He ran 331.55. So they had a fast, they had a rabbit and, you know, they all tore out. So Josh just sat right behind or right behind the rabbit and you know, typically in, in the races that he's run, he's won. So, Cause I mean, I watched all the races that he did in, in college. I mean, he's a multiple time national champion, NCAA champion. He just sat on the rabbit and they were, they were flying. And, you know, typically a lot of the championship races are sand kicks. So I'm used to watching him kind of sit and then you know, take off with 400, 300 to go. But I mean, he was just so far ahead of everybody his face, like you can just see the focus. Like there's a difference. Like even Safan Hassan, if you watch that video, typically the, these people are just relaxed and they're kind of cruising, uh, you know, a little bit faster than threshold. They're decently comfortable. And then they like kick it in really hard. But, you know, in these races where they run fast from the gun, you know, they tend to run more even splits mm-hmm. and you just see them putting out incredible effort. And it's, it's kind of fun watching them just push their limits. I mean, these are the best athletes in the world and uh, yeah, it was inspiring to watch it. Uh, it was second fastest 1500 in the world this year and the fastest ever on American soil. So what was the high schoolers time then? I, I thought, I know that was really fast too. Yeah, it was flying. It was, I, I want to say it was 333 or 334. Four. Okay. So it was, it was 334.36. Um, so fast for when you I think know. about a high schooler, I mean, to put that in perspective for the, the listeners, that's probably a 350 mile uh, or equivalent yeah. to that, you know? So yeah, it's close. He's 17 years old from Michigan. He's running for Northern Arizona next fall. He's yeah. He's only 17. So he's qualified he's, for the trials already. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine if a 17 year old <laughs> makes the trials? Um, but yeah, I mean, he, the Olympic standard is 335. So he's, he can go, you know, if he shows up and gets top three at the trials and yeah. he can, why not? Yeah. So obviously shoes have made a big impact on the racing. I think obviously a year off, like many people took a year off or, or at least a lack of racing last year. So people got laser focused 
and had the right. ability to increase their fitness without any dips. And then I think you just have this element of people getting excited to race again. And then you start seeing these fast times drop and everything's on social media. And it's like, kind of like keeping up with the Joneses, you know, everyone's, everyone's trying to find that next step and just forcing everyone to get faster. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's been good. It's exciting. It's a, it's an exciting time for endurance sports. A lot yeah. of incredible uh, races are, are being run and it's just, it's just kind of fun. Fun to follow it all super shoes or not. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I recall looking at an indoor meet this year from where I went to school. There's, there was two guys that broke 14 in the 5k indoor and granted, like there's always been guys in division two that broke, broke 14, but I think half the field in that race was in division two and it wasn't even the NCAA championships and they're all under 14 minutes, you know? So the times yeah. are just getting pushed further and further, you know, everything's just getting faster. The depth is, is tremendous right now. You know, just the number of athletes each year who break four in the U S and even in triathlon, yeah, know, the number of guys breaking nine hours, number of age groupers breaking nine hours. And it's just way more competitive than it was. And you look at the splits, a lot of it is on the bike. There, there's no excuse not to be a good cyclist nowadays, <laughs> in my opinion. If you want to be a good cyclist, you, you can. <laughs> you just spend time on the bike. I think indoor riding has just made it so that everybody is an Uber cyclist now. And you can kind of see that in, even at the pro level. I still have some work to do. Yeah, well, you're putting in the work. You'll be there. <laughs> I'm excited to see what you do at St. George. <laughs> but more so at the uh, Music City World Championships. Yeah, well, I hope that you don't get your bike for that. But... <laughs> <laughs> I need a little bit of a cushion coming off the bike, probably. Yeah, we'll see what happens. It'll be it'll we'll be see. an exciting race, everyone. It'll be exciting. It'll be fun. I guess lastly, we could just talk briefly about some of the athletes we had competing this past weekend. Too, we had athletes everywhere from California to Pennsylvania, you know, Nashville area and Indiana, and everyone performed really well this weekend, and it was yeah, awesome. I mean, <laughs> we had, so I think. There were three triathlons across the country that various working triathletes competed in. And in each one of them, a working triathlete took the overall male win, the overall female win, and you know, locally also the master's win and, and various age group uh, wins. So it's impressive. Miguel and Jenna over in at Bass Lake Triathlon. I mean, they they destroyed it and I think Jenna was the first female by 20 minutes. I mean, that she is insane. <laughs> she is incredible. And she had, you know, surgery last, last week. So, so the fact that, you know, she was able, she, she had to take five days off and then, you know, the next week coming back, uh, just getting into a, a rhythm, getting some stimulus in each of the disciplines and then still doing that was, was impressive. What so. was she overall against the men's field? I mean, she must've been pretty high up there too. Yeah, I mean, she was high up there. I don't know the placement off the top of my head, but yeah, I mean, it was up there. She's a very good, good athlete, balanced, strong across the three disciplines. But, you know, especially the swim bike, it's pro level or, or frankly above. So exciting to follow her and, and other working triathletes. So maybe we'll get her on the podcast soon. Well, I and think that you, wraps you won a race. I did. I did win a race. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, it was interesting because I've been dealing with a, like a hamstring strain and I wasn't sure if I was going to finish the race. My goal was still to swim and to bike, to get a quality workout in. Mm -hmm. And I did a long 
warm up. I did about 30 minutes running prior to the race. And then I got in the water a little bit too, just to stay loose. And, you know, I had a great swim. I felt really good in the water. I went without a wetsuit. What did you swim? Um, pace, pace per hundred. According to my GPS is like 132, but I don't, I don't believe that. You just it was because, faster. Yeah, I think it was faster. Um, mm. I, I feel like I was moving pretty good in the water and, uh, I'd have to look at, I mean, obviously it's kind of tough because the GPS in the water could be inaccurate. And then also the right. distance of the race could be inaccurate as well. Um, but against the field, I was about 40 seconds off of Josh Kathlin, who's a former collegiate swimmer and he, he swam very well. And, um, I was just under 15 minutes for the, you know, the measure, Ooh. the swim is supposed to be, you know, a thousand meters or thousand yards, 0.6 yeah. miles, 0.6 miles. So, and yeah, so the swim felt great, got on the bike and I couldn't manage the power. My power meter wasn't connected. So I just pushed it hard as hard as I thought I was pushing, you know, and then mm-hmm. when I got off the bike though, I actually had a cramp, my calf cramped up, which that's never happened before. And it didn't hurt, but it, it like it seized up and my foot was like pointed to the point where I couldn't get my shoe on quickly. Um, but I got it on and I started running. It was fine. You know, just, it, oh, yeah. there's a little bit of tension in there, but yeah, my hamstring felt good. And, um, when I saw Anthony, I, I thought for sure he was, he had me, but I started doing the math in my head uh-huh. at the turnaround. And as I got, maybe, I, maybe I do have him, but however, he did still have a faster run split than me, which, you know, he, his runs really coming together now. Um, oh, yeah. which is awesome. I mean, he's always been a great runner, but now he's running well off the bike, which is really important. Oh, yeah. He's, he's going to crush it at St. George. He's doing a 10 mile race next weekend, actually, just to kind of see where his run fitness is. And he's, he's come a long way from, you know, a year and a half ago when it comes to running and he crushed it. So we'll see, he's going to be in St. George also. Um, but what was, how did his bike and runs? So, so he ran a little bit faster, right? And then yeah, we ran six seconds faster. What about the bike? bike i need to look back but i want to say it's like 30 or 40 seconds faster than mine maybe he'll be in the mix of music city <laughs> yeah but yeah that'd be great the swim i think i had three minutes on him on the swim um and then additionally the first t1 i had about 30 seconds on him because i didn't i didn't wear a wetsuit so i was mm-hmm. able to zip through t1 pretty quickly yeah i mean your swim has come a long way so it's it'll be fun it'll be a battle it'll be a battle in music city fun local riv- rivalries definitely well, I think that wraps it up for the current events for this week. Um, if you guys need to contact us, you can reach me at Derek at workingtriathlete.com. You can reach me at Conrad at workingtriathlete.com. All right. Thanks for listening. See ya.